it's that time again, boys and girls. It is time for episode number seven of the Development Hell podcast. Uh, Ed, we made it to lucky number seven. Is it already? Already number seven. seven? Right? Yeah, you're right. I kind of had lost count, I guess. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, uh, that's good. Uh, for something that was sort of kind of a... It was something I'd been thinking about trying to do, but like was kind of a... Hey, let's just do this, and we kind of just threw it together. It has worked out pretty okay. It has worked out okay. So, uh, so our intention for all our listeners who don't want to hit pause and listen to things the next day, this particular uh, edition is uh, we're going to try to keep it to under an hour because uh, Ed hasn't been feeling too well lately. Poor baby's had a cold, so we're gonna he needs his sleep and his Nyquil and all his other drugs. So I know, right? We're going to try to keep this one short and sweet. So before we get into it. Um, uh, I know that my 6 million uh, Twitter followers have probably heard by now that I am leaving Moon Toast and I am moving on to take a job with the awesome folks at Kaplan, the online e-learning and test prep company. And uh, lucky for me, they have a Canadian branch, so I'll be able to scoot into the U.S. for quote-unquote training with a lot uh, with a lot more ease. Um, and so I'm I've been hired to be one of their senior guys. I even have hear rumors Ed, that there will actually be manager um, there will actually be employees for me to direct and keep track of. Oh, that's upsetting. So, I God think. help God help those people right. who will actually who will actually have to listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> do you uh do you know if those people have been hired yet or and will they have <laughs> to be know, yeah. I I do know that one uh, at least one of them who's been hired uh hit me up on Twitter and on IRC and Freenode and was like peppering me with all sorts of questions questions and I was like bro you got to like slow down we haven't started yet I don't know exactly what the challenge is but let's not talk about throwing everything away and rewriting it into something when we haven't even gotten to it yet I've been told little bits and pieces about what I'm going to be doing, but I prefer to kind of reserve judgment until uh, until I get to that point. Yeah, I dig it. Well, that's really cool. It sounds like uh, a uh, thing you're excited about, and I think that's it, that's it good. is. And I'm gonna and I and I will say I will definitely miss bothering Ben Ramsey in uh, IRC every day at work, harassing him and throwing like a boss comments at him all the time. You could, uh, like you a, could like, just do that like on a free note. Yeah, I can do it on Freeno now, but when we when I was in the actual Moon Toast IRC channels, uh, it was a lot more fun to to harass him. As I as I called him the other day, uh, my uh, former long suffering at my hands boss uh, Ben Ramsey. You're right. So Ed, let's get into this. Today's uh, overarching theme was one that we had uh, that I'd been wanting to do for a while, but after we had a few guests lined up, we could crank this one out. Was I wanted to talk a bit about um, remote development, and I think there's kind of two kind of sub-themes underneath that. We actually have the process of working remotely uh, and how you get your work done, and also some tools that kind of make uh, remote development um, bearable. Now, I've been doing remote work or telecommuting or or whatever you want to call it for about five years now. So what about you, Ed? Yeah, so for me, um, I've done contracting jobs like remotely and usually it would you know so it was just stuff here and there like while i worked at purdue i did a little bit of work like that um and those were always i in almost every case those were remote those were things where people you know i was have some a couple friends who uh business they work out in la i did some work for them and and a few things here and there and that but then i guess for the past 
It's coming up on two years now. Because right, um, you had about a year with Goodsy. Yeah. And, and, a bit, and then you've been, have you been with Fictive Kin for almost a year yet? Longer. Um, oh, wow. So, because I was only, I was actually only at Goodsy for like six months. So I left April 15th. I left Purdue at, on an, like April 15th, I think it was. And then started Goodsy. And then that then, it was about mid November, I think, because it was around, it was like right before Thanksgiving when that sort of, got the kibosh put on it so uh so i i i kind of did a little bit of sort of consulty stuff but i've been just on with fictive kin since i guess january 1st so it's a little over a year now all right cool. so so yeah i've been so as a full-time thing i've been doing that and um most of the st- consulting stuff i'd done before it wasn't part of a team it was more like they were just hiring me ma- to do you know in some cases to advise on a couple things um but in most cases it was like i was basically doing most of the work right you know um so it's kind of a different kind of deal so it's been about i guess about two years that i've been doing that as my full-time main thing doing uh doing remote work all right so, so we have our our lovely little pirate pad up here where we can uh, where we jot down our ideas. So the first thing I wanted to talk about uh, in terms of remote stuff. Oh, and by the way, before we go into this any further, I wanted to say thank you to all the people on Twitter who uh, made suggestions on uh, things they wanted us to talk about. Sure, it makes our life a lot easier when planning the show. Yeah, that was actually really helpful. So uh, thank you also. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm kind of looking at this stuff and the, and the first thing that comes to comes to mind is this idea of uh, one of the things I ran into at moon toast that caused some friction. And I can be honest when I say it is not a major part of my desire to switch jobs, but it made, it made working at moon toast difficult at times was the fact that I was the only remote worker. And my experience has been that remote work to me, only seems to really work well if everybody is remote. Now, at Fictive Kin, what's the what's the scenario there? Is everyone distributed, or are there some people who kind of work together? Because I know you have Sean is up in Montreal, right. and uh, and and you're uh, in lovely Indiana, and there's some people who are in the New York um, area. So, do the people in New York work together, or like, how, what's the team? Because at Muntos, the engineering team was in Nashville, so everybody, yeah. everybody was in Nashville except me. So I was up in Canada. So and that's that can be a tough thing. Like so, I typically most of the time with fictive kin, there's only one guy who actually lives in Brooklyn, and um, so that's uh, well, you think I'd know his name by now? That's Cameron, <laughs> and. Uh, and he's, I, I guess, uh, if we have somebody who's in charge, he's the guy who's in charge. Um, and uh, then we have other folks, like there's a couple folks who live in San Francisco. And then um, one guy in Baltimore, one guy in D.C., and now one, two guys in the Montreal area. Because we just got Joel just started. Oh no, he's he's in Toronto, so he's not in Montreal. I don't even I, I don't even fucking know where he is. He's the guy who has the Frenchiest name. Yes, you think I just assumed? No, he's he actually was, in, well. He was in Montreal, and then he relocated to to Toronto to take a job uh, that he just left. So he oh, had okay. been kind of 
kind of recruited by them, and then I guess you know you guys made him an uh, offer we, that he thought was a lot more. Totally so screwed him over. Yeah. His girlfriend uh, w- works for, um, I believe, if I remember correctly, last time I was speaking to Joel mm-hmm. uh, for uh, colon cancer awareness. Uh, organization so that must and they be fun. Do all, and yeah for canada canadian based one and so they right. do uh, her work was always having her in toronto all the time so he decided just to move here because it was easier it saved them a lot of travel back and forth but as far as i know he's staying in oh, okay in, so in, in that, toronto, i think so, i might have at one time known he was in montreal so i didn't he, i didn't yeah, realize he, did, he, he used moved. to live in montreal he's born and raised in montreal he speaks he speaks fluent french and english so, right he's so. far smarter than anyone else at. actually no we have a lot of a couple smart people he's far smarter than me so we're i i'm basically i'm probably screwed in this whole bar day. is low ed it's okay yeah that's a good point um but the uh so so no they're not we don't even have like one guy really in the same like the two guys are in san francisco i don't I, they don't like hang out in the same place all the time or anything so but right. so so but what Ha- I noticed though you talk, you know, so we're pretty spread around. So it's pretty much everybody's remote, right? And everybody is in the same boat. So something I notice is that it is when um, people do get like a group of people do get in the same place. Like two or three of them end up are in Brooklyn at one time, right? Suddenly, like I don't see those guys nearly as much, and it's really harder to communicate with them. And I think it's because they get used to just having people in the same room and they can just talk to them, right? Yeah. And and so there's a t- I think there's a tendency. Um, it's not so frequent that like it's been a huge problem for us, but I think there's a tendency that uh, to if you get into that state, you have to be really careful to like make sure everybody's getting included. So like if you talk about something, if everybody's remote. When you have a discussion, you're having a discussion like on IRC or whatever your group chat thing is or what have right, you, right. and everybody's aware of it, and it gets logged and all that, right? And so it's a lot easier to keep appraised of it. So what ends up happening, if that doesn't happen, is it's like the communication happens in these other channels, right? And these channels like humans talking to each other where they make sounds that come out of their mouth, <laughs> and then they, it, people pick it up with these ear sensor things and they it converts it into the things that we're familiar with which are concepts in the brain and so the 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 uh the that what we call verbal communication um can be kind of, like i think you what ends up is that you have like that that sort of you might think of it as like a channel this channel splits off and yeah. like the remote guys don't know what's going on right so what? Get, so it was really particularly one thing is they did actually a pretty good job of, of getting me in on this. But there was a uh, we try to do fairly regular meetups, not like every month, but like maybe at least a couple times a year, right? Like yeah, get actually everybody, get, everybody get everybody in, in one the same, place, and, right? Yep. You know, because we're we're all invested in this, and we're all sort of we really try to keep things. Th- things are pretty flat, you know what I mean? Like in the terms yep. of structure and. We're all invested in this. We're all making it, you know, so it's kind of a, so we all want to get in there and talk about stuff and see where we're going and junk like that. And there's a lot of really, it's there, it's really advantageous because I think it's a really good idea to do that uh, for a number of reasons. But I had the experience where 
uh, folks were getting together. Um, like I wasn't in, it was in December, I think. And they were doing this thing out to go to this cabin. And I was like, I just couldn't do it. Right. I had more stuff and, and, uh, I just couldn't go. And, um, it was, they put a lot of effort into like, okay, every day we're going to get together and talk about kind of what we had seen. So we make sure that Ed's involved and when we're having like sort of a more formal discussion time, we're actually going to sit down and get involved. But, but it was still hard. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's real problematic and that, but, and that was a special thing where you can kind of like, well, we're going to make time and figure this out. I think it's, what's really hard is when, is that communication channel thing. And if not, if, if you don't have all that communication happening, like in the same channel, right. And some people don't really have access to that. It gets really hard to make sure that everybody, that people, the remote folks are in the loop on stuff. Yeah, that was like the place I worked at before Muntos, everybody was remote. Right. And it, and it was very clear, it was made very clear to me early on that um, any discussions that impact the group had to happen on IRC. Right. And that it was totally okay to go into back channels for private one-on-one conversations yeah. or, or if two people needed to together to discuss something mm-hmm. but anything that impacted the 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 team as a whole had to be done uh in irc so yeah. i think the lesson that i've learned about my muntos experience was that if you're gonna do if you're gonna have remote guys you have to be all in and everybody has to be communicating through the same channel so it's, it's a channel thing which you very eloquently uh, described. I think you're like Huff and Nyquil before we started talking the way you were rambling for it. Oh yeah. Right. But, but, uh, um, but yeah, it's for sure. It's all about the channels and everybody has to talk um, via the same channel or else you're going to miss all that stuff. I mean, nobody, uh, there's no, nothing more frustrating than if you only have a text based channel with which to talk to people that everyone else is choosing to do uh, shooting the shit because they happen to be sitting next to each other. So uh, right. I, I don't blame people for doing that because that's a very natural thing. Unless you've hired a really a bunch of like really antisocial people, if two of them are together, they're going to be talking. And they right. may end up talking about stuff that's that will be important to you, but you will never know unless they make the effort to say, hey, you know, Jim and Bob over here, we're talking about this. And we want to then we want to further discuss it with you. Right. I think that and I think a lot of times it's just the, I mean, what I found with effective kin is that like, because everybody sort of is in the same boat with that, all the socialization and, and also sort of like fun and like stuff we jabber about that all happens there too. Yep. And so it kind of, you know, it's kind of enjoyable to do that. Um, you know, sometimes we have to have blackout time just because, and we will define that and say, "Hey, let's do blackout like this af- like these afternoons during the week or something," um, because sometimes you sort of need that. <laughs> like sometimes yeah. you need to be away and just like, "Okay, I'm just going to hole up and plow through this stuff." But yep. um, yeah, I really think it's a it's it's it would be difficult with a team you know like that setup you kind of talked about at Moon Toast. I think I would be. Like, it would be one thing if I was brought in as basically like a specialist consultant type thing with a relationship like that. But I think it would be hard to feel like I was really a, like, a, like I, I could really be part of that, that, that team in the same way because I think that I feel like I would miss up 
on so much communication stuff. I think that would be really challenging. Yeah, I yeah, I felt that way sometimes. But so, but so Ben, I know you're going to listen to this. Don't don't hate on me, Ben. It was just it was really tough because I felt that you you could only even though we would do um, voice stuff like you know our daily standups were done with a go to meeting, so I could actually right. hear the other people. All that stuff. It still sometimes felt like. You know, there was no connection there, and that's yeah. that, that's that's tough. That requires a a lot of effort, but, but between all parties, and I don't know, maybe it's just I, I look at it. I'm not like a super religious guy, but I believe in like fate and destiny. Sure, and and it was just, and as my kids like to remind me, the Norse gods, because I love reading the Viking myths to them. But yeah, uh, um, but it was just fate. Fate said that this just wasn't going to work. Having one guy. Uh, yeah. Having one guy remote, not there. Um, no matter how brilliant I am, you can't always get uh, get the the maximum results. So let's right. stop talking about. Let's talk about. Don't start crying about whining. this. Yeah. yeah, I want to stop whining about Moon Toast and how they didn't love me because I wasn't there in the office. So You're right. <laughs> so the next thing I want to talk about. Do you feel uh, that now that you're working remotely, that the way that you approach the actual process of building things. Have you found that you approach things differently now that you're not in? Cause I describe, I tell people as a remote environment as one that um, is not as super collaborative as if you're in the same place. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of, and I know a lot of people say, Oh, I could never work remotely. I need all my people to be in one place. And I think what happens, I think my experiences with working remotely is that a lot of the superficial collaboration, the hey man, how was your weekend? All that, all that bullshit. Um, dis- a lot of it disappears. Yeah, when you're working working remotely because it requires more effort to communicate. But a lot of really good collaborative things can still get done online. But has your experience been that when the way that you actually approach building things, do you find yourself doing things differently because you're no longer in the same place with all the people that you're working with? Well, yeah, to some extent, and. and- you know, some of that, my perspective might not be as good as yours on this because I, when I was at Purdue, so that, you know, that nine plus years, and that was sort of a where I uh, learned a lot more about, uh, I, well, I learned a fair bit about doing development, I guess, before that too. Um, uh, but it's going back a ways. Um, I had been doing a lot of like team-based work um, when I was at Purdue, primarily, I was just like, I'm the web guy, right? In in uh, in academia, they still like regularly use the title webmaster. That right. tells you a lot. But um, the it's uh, not it's, their fault that they just don't know. Right, right. They call everything cyber X and cyber stuff. Like that's a common prefix. Um, yeah, surfing the web. Uh, so. So I was maybe uh, like a little bit off my game with that stuff because it was like a lot, while a lot of, you know, some of that stuff was going on, I was still a single developer kind of guy. But I, you know, I, I think that, um, I think there's some things I think about. Um, I think one of the things is that I tend to have to, I, I, I tend to think about the fact that somebody, the main thing that somebody's going to look at, or the only thing it's really somebody's going to look at is my code. Like, I can't walk over to them and say, hey, I committed this, 
and let me just explain to you how it was and da da da. Now sometimes I do where if I'm like, hey, maybe we ought to go over this, you know, well, let's get on Skype real quick and do like a ten minute call or something like that just to walk through it. But most of the time I think about hey, I'm writing this code and um if somebody's gonna have to interact with it, I'm gonna have to um preemptively either document it or you know, one way or another, you know, make sure that this stuff is on target because that's the, that's really the only thing that they're seeing. Like I can't come in there and trick them with jokes or into thinking that I'm a cool guy and they should keep me, you know, employed and stuff like that. Um, right. It's, it really, it's like, look, I got to put out, you know, I have to have code and it's got to be documented because, you know, I might not, you know, I might not be available when this guy actually looks at it. You know, some of our guys like are on the West coast. So, I might be like, uh, I'm done for the day, and then dude's still working where when it's 10 o'clock at night here. So I might not be on, you know, IRC or something like that. So some of that stuff, I sort of, I think there's a, I think to some extent, I just try to keep people appraised of what I've done. And probably I do that more so because I, I feel like I have to put that effort in, right, to make sure that people know what has happened, especially when I know it's going to impact like something that they're interacting with, right? Where our pieces are fitting together. And, um, and then probably the other side is that I think I probably put more time into, like I said, documenting stuff, um, testing stuff out and making sure it works because I don't want to commit it until, because I know that, that like cycle or that, you know, whatever feedback loop where I, I like somebody says, Hey, there's a problem with this. That's going to take longer. And they, because it's, it tends to be much more asynchronous, there's not a guy who just comes up and says, hey, I got a problem. And I'm like, oh, if, you know, did I know it right away. It's like you've got that more of a delay in there usually. So to, to make things faster, I was like, I trying to try to make sure that it's, it's taken care of before I hit commit. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I really try to make yeah. sure it's on target. Yeah, I found that's uh, that's very much the same kind of philosophy that um, that I have as well with the remote stuff. I, I because again, you're right. The first time someone may see anything that you've done is even if you if your team is even bothering to have everyone emailed uh, when there's a commit or a push. Mm-hmm. It may be the first time they use a piece of code is when they update and they go to use their shit and now they're getting an error message that they've never seen before and they're like, whoa, where would this thing come from? Right. So, so I agree that the important thing for for remote people to understand, people who want to work remotely, is understand that the bar is higher now in terms of everything that uh, surrounds your coding. Right? You clearly have to document things. You clearly have to be in a position to explain to your coworkers what you did and why you did it. And, and more importantly, you you need you that you need to understand that that thing that you talk about the feedback the uh, the, the the feedback loop mm-hmm. it, it takes a lot longer yeah. um, when you're remote. So I found that yeah during my time working remotely it's been the same thing. Document the shit out of everything, keep things as simple as you can, and not only do comments um, in line, but also when you do a push and you've implemented a feature. I would fire off an email to the engineering group or when I used to work for XML team to everybody because the, because the, the engineering, you know, the, the team was so small, five or six guys send an email to everybody saying, Hey, I just did this and it does these things and I've commented and I'm expecting it to work like this. And if you have to work with it and you're having any problems, let me know immediately and we can, uh, you know, tag team the shit out of this thing to fix it. Right. So yeah, I, that, 
seems yeah, similar. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't have anything. I, I just re- will repeat what I just said if I keep yeah, talking. No. So. <laughs> I think that's reasonable. So, so for people considering the remote stuff, the main thing to, I think to take out of this particular uh, topic is just be prepared to do a lot more stuff than just write your code. Having good code isn't enough. You need to document what you're doing and also be able to, uh, you know, be able to quickly explain to people how stuff's working when they run into a problem. Because I find yeah. I find what worked really well for me was if I did have to do some collaborative stuff, I would approach it from the perspective. I would say to the other person, okay, for example, I did a lot of work writing um, APIs when right. I was with Toast. So I'd be like, okay, uh, uh, Tyson was our awesome HTML uh, JavaScript guy. So I'd say to Tyson, all right, Tyson, I'm doing some API calls, and you got to do the front end stuff. Uh, what do you need to get back? What do you need it to look like? Do you have any field names uh, in mind? You know, we're going to return JSON or whatever. So he would tell me, yeah, I need this call. I'll do this. And then he would do the cool part of actually, uh, for the time being, mocking out responses. So he could continue to build things and then when, uh, his stuff. And then when I had an API call that was working, he could just plug it in. Nice. So, he were, so he was already thinking ahead of time how he wanted things to look that I would send back to him. And then again, that made my life a lot easier because I already knew what is what it is that I was doing. Right. Um, so let's look at this too. So we've covered, yeah, we've covered, do we kind of code differently because we work remotely? I don't know if I code differently, but I do know I spend a lot more time. I, I do spend a lot more time commenting and describing things than I did when I used to work in an office. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Effective communication and staying in sync. Yeah. We already talked about the channel stuff, making sure yeah. that key thing for remote stuff got to stay in the, everyone's got to be commuting in the same channel. And even we could even go so far as I think that one of the thing, uh, uh, an interesting dilemma is that if you have two people who are actually together, that if they're, even if they're in the same room, they should be communicating via, via that same um, uh, text channel. I think that even if two people are in the same room and not everybody else's message, got to be on message, got to be all on the same channel. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. I, I think, I mean, sometimes it gets a little contrived, uh, you know, it's like, well, what if I got, if I got a guy sitting next to me, it feels kind of silly, but it is my tendency to, even when I'm doing that, to just to write stuff in the channel because I want to make sure everybody aware is yes. aware of it. Yeah. Um, you know, and we got this thing down, are there tools that make remote dev easier? And I think that'd be an interesting thing to talk about. Um, I, uh, so I think we you find yourself, um, it, you know, it, with Fictive Kin, we've tried, a, you know, a few different things, and some stuff has worked well, and some stuff, you know, you end up kind of pushing aside. I well, think. Let's, well, let's uh, yeah. let's let's talk talk about this from more the meta perspective. Okay, sure. Uh, in terms of like what sort of what sort of I guess I'll use the correct phrase meta tools are I think that I think that you need if you're going to make the commitment to doing um, to have people working remotely. So the, I think the first big one, of course, has to be a version control system. Right? Yes. I would, because yeah. nothing, nothing could be worse than trying to copy files around. I mean, it's, I've, I've worked with version control for, let me think now I'm going to count back now. 12 years, mm-hmm. probably 12 out of my f- almost 15 years of coding. I've worked at places that had version control. I could not possibly imagine getting any significant amount of work done if there was no version control. So, oh, no. so, I, th- so no. I think that you and I can both agree that the first big meta tool you need is version control. I yes. think the second meta tool that you need is um, 
uh, a collaborative environment that's conducive to uh, sharing information. Uh, and I believe that it really has to be text-based. I think verbal, I think uh, having everybody logged into the same thing where they can all talk to each other, grossly inefficient. I think that text-based channels of communication for remote people are by far the best because you can share just about anything with text. You can share ideas. Yeah. You can share links to, um, you know, you can share uh, uh, links to um, paste bins and and Goo and uh, GitHub gists and all these things. That if it's if you start with text as your collaborative tool, it just enables you to do so many more things, right? And because you can you can log all the conversations that everybody is having. If you have right. a cool enough um, uh, IRC client, and we use IRC at Muntos, and I highly recommend uh, uh, some form of IRC. Um, as uh, as your collaborative tool, um, I mean there are there are things like Campfire and, and things like that, but I look at those as basically being fancy versions of IRC, where they're giving you a pretty looking IRC with some centralized logging and setting up your own IRC server. Despite what people might think, is not difficult at all. It it, it really isn't. So those right. two, I think those are really the two uh, big meta tools that you need to make this thing work. Common version, you need version control. And you need uh, a collaborative text-based environment. So, what, yeah. what, are, what are your thoughts on that? So, I I agree with that. I think both of those things are really key. And I think without them, um, I think most of the other stuff you could probably get away without. But those two things you really, really need. Um, I would probably say that some kind of, um, and I'm going to you know paint this very broadly. Sure. Um, task or project management tool oh, needs to be oh, in there. Yes. Right. Oh my God. How could I forget? You're right. Yes. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, so to, you're absolutely right. So uh, what's your thoughts on the ones that are combined, like ticketing and bug fixing? Like, do you like those sort of tools where everything that the team needs to deal with is in one place? Because for example, at Muntos, we use Redmine, right? Right. Which is, you know, um, I wouldn't call it industry standard, but it is kind of a well-known pretty, package. And, pretty and we, tr and we tried to do, um, everything with that. With Kaplan, I'm hoping to get us um, using um, the tool that Facebook provides, Fabricator. Oh, okay. Uh, as a way, because I – and boy, if my fellow new Kaplan employees are listening, they're going to love me because we're going to be Ooh. doing uh, – we're going to be doing code reviews all the time Ooh. for everything. So nice. testing and code reviews because I'll be damned if I'm building a piece of shit e-learning platform that's buggy. So, right. Uh, so you're absolutely right. God, I can't believe I fucking forgot. Yeah, no. Uh, 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 some sort of um, management. I don't know what's the, what's the right what's the right term to call that, Ed. I don't even. Well, know there's a lot of different things. Like some people just have. They can take a lot of forms. I mean, they can be as basic as as a real simple, like uh, task list, right? Right. And or they can be more complex, right? And they get into things like does the task include an estimation of how long it'll take and you know and then you can go all the way up to like are you going to buy into some methodologies and junk like that i'm not really into that stuff um i tend to prefer things that are more bare and then i'd rather then add on a few like things here and there than start like a lightweight library or two ed so so something like that yeah, the micro task manager. Right. Manifesto? Is that the next thing that yeah, we're going to be talking about? 
So, I mean, I've worked with some stuff that it's like... Yeah, now, the one thing I'll say is I do... I like it if you can get something that is integrated uh, with your version control. Um, but you're... I mean, it's kind of like you have to you have to like it and you have to... The version control and however that's all set up needs to work well with it, right? So... You know, you have to like the version control system and you have to like the thing that's integrating with it. But I think it's convenient if you can tie commits to tasks. Like, I, so I think that's helpful in terms of figuring out what happened and having a better record of that. Um, it's not the end of the world if you don't, but um, I think it varies a little bit based on kind of what your communication and what the personalities are involved too. If you have people who... You know, maybe you're just who you tend to be quiet and not check in on IRC a lot or your group yeah. chat. You might yep. really need more of that because you sort of need that um, that diary, basically, right? Right. That okay. journal of what they did um, because you might just be able to answer questions that way, but they're just not, you know, sometimes you run to some folks who just are, are more or less or more into chatting that way, right? So. Right. right. Um, at fictive kin, we tend to be pretty like chatty about stuff. So that's, I think a lot less of an issue, but I've been at, you know, some places it was more so, and it it was helpful to be able to tie that stuff together. All right. So I guess our Holy Trinity then, or the three pillars of, I prefer it to be the pillars of a successful remote team would be unholy Trinity. Yeah, it's it's. I want to call it the unholy trinity. Okay, you want to call it the unholy trinity. Yeah, please. Right, I like Thank that. You. The Thanks. unholy trinity for successful right. remote dev work: mm-hmm. version control, mm-hmm. uh, text-based collaborative environment, and a system for tracking who has been doing what and why they were doing it. Yeah. And I th- I think if you have all three of those things, then chances are you're going to be able to stay on top of everything. Yeah, I think you need those things at least. Right, you you at least need those three things, and then then I think what you do is you you probably based on the needs of the group and how that group tends to operate. I think you then can pick and you can pick up things here and there that that are advantageous for you to use, like um, you know things for like taking notes, uh, documenting stuff. Um, I, I think that applied um, conservatively, uh, I think that that it's important to have voice, ch- like to, to actually talk, you know, voice chat stuff. Um, we use Skype for that, you know. Um, oh, yeah, for stand-up but, meetings and stuff. We always, uh, I prefer the voice stuff for sure. Right, but I think I think one of the things you find with that is it's, it's really got to be quick. You know what I mean? It's like, Let's, we shouldn't. You shouldn't be having those. Those things I don't think should take more than ten minutes, right? Um, I mean, there's occasionally going to be things where it's like I've really got to hash stuff out. We got to talk this out, and it's going to take a while. But you shouldn't have a stand-up meeting. Well, I guess by definition, stand-up meetings are supposed to be quick. But you shouldn't have a meeting that involves like a large you know, portion of your team that takes a really long time. I think in a developer slash, you know, engineer focused, uh, kind of environment, I think that 
that you know doesn't work well. So I think you, I'd like so I, I want you know I'd be real conservative with it. Um, but I do think it's helpful to do that. I you know I I find it useful just to hear people's voices and you kind of hear their personality better yes. and it kind of you can tell a lot. You can communicate a lot really fast that way. So you know apply, like you know doing it here and there where it's really going to be useful you can get it things done and sort stuff out way faster than you might be able to do if you try to talk it out on irc or whatever um yeah uh right. well, so yeah well, yeah no that, no i agree that uh, that a voice component uh is important but you have to be very careful that the voice component doesn't become the main channel oh yeah yeah, yeah. yes definitely that's 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 really the the that's really the fear I have in environments where the number of people who are who are remote are really small. Yeah. So so that's the, and one of the things that people always ask me all the time because I've had so much experience working remotely is how do you convince the company that you work for that the remote stuff is a good idea? And this is one where I kind of hesitate to answer a lot of times because yeah. I mean the, the tendency is says oh man everybody knows that developers can get their work done. Remotely, we don't need to have all this bullshit of people being in offices. Mm-hmm. But the thing I struggle with is that yeah, there are some teams where the remote stuff is going to work really well, uh, and those teams tend to be full of people. Uh, I'm going to apply a label that I think is appropriate um, that are adults in terms yeah. of like in terms of being responsible, right? right? Because I tell people. Um, I treat remote working like a regular job. I get up in the morning, I have breakfast, I have a shower, I get dressed. I'm not sitting in front of my computer in a ratty bathrobe and a wife beater and boxer shorts, right? Yeah, I right. treat it like a job because the day I stop treating it like a real job is the day I won't be allowed to work remotely and I will be forced to go to an office somewhere mm-hmm. and Fuck me if I want to do that anymore. So yeah. Um, so I I think right. the the key is you have it is a hard sell to employers because a lot of people a lot of people still they feel like the only way people can be collaborative is if they're in the same place all the time. And I think that's more a reflection of the insecurity a lot of companies feel about trusting the people they you want. Everyone says, "Oh, we want to hire A players. We want to hire good people," but I've always felt for a lot of ways that people who are who are absolutely insistent that there can be no remote work and that developers are not allowed to work from home reveals a lot about the culture of that company that's lurking just below the surface. And it's a trust issue. Trust is a huge thing with me because basically working remote, I have to trust that everybody else is getting their shit done without without somebody having to be like yelling at them and saying, what the hell are all you guys doing in Bob's cubicle? Get back to work. Right. Yeah. I so so right. trust is a big thing, and I, I always tell people you have to be very subtle about trying to make the case for remote stuff. You have to you basically have to prove that you can do all this work without the adult supervision constantly being there before you can even try to make the case for saying let's get people working remotely. Yeah, I don't know how to make that happen because I you know in the sense where it's like if you have a situation where your work uh, general, you know, hasn't, you know, sort of uh, adopted remote work and, and, you know, having people work remotely and you're trying to convince them that I think that's, I I think that's kind of tough because 
I think that they, I think the people who are involved, I'd put, I'd put it this way. I think that they have to buy into it before, if it's going to be successful oh, at all. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I mean, what I tell people is that if you want to work remotely, find a place that'll hire remote workers, because you're right. The chances of a, of one of these, what I call the command and control organizations where they insist on all their developers being in the office all the time. Um, the chances of them being willing to switch to uh, letting everybody work from home. Um, what are the chances of that? They approach zero, really. If right. you want to be, be honest and realistic about it. So I tell people, you want to work, you want to work remotely? There's two things you have to do. You, you have to find a place willing to hire remote people and then you have to prove that you can be just as productive, just as productive uh, working remotely as you are working in an office environment. I hated working yeah. in office environments because of all the bullshit going on around me all the time, especially with the tendency of people to promote this nonsense open concept idea where every developer was at a desk. And so everybody's always around. And then, of course, the managers have their offices where they were allowed to close doors when it got too right. noisy. But you were stuck in the middle of the gopher farm. Uh, working at a desk and you had no control over anybody else around you. And you throw into that other developers talking to each other, salespeople constantly talking on the phone, and then people from different departments breezing in and out of your environment all the time to talk to other people. Mm -hmm. It's like, no wonder I was ready to like uh, go postal on people a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, right. Right. I think it's a lot easier to keep things at sort of arm's length. And if you need to check out for half an hour or whatever, and you can just keep leave yourself logged on to IRC, but sort of, you know, not pay attention to it for a little bit, but you can't do that. If people are having conversations around you all the time, you know what I mean? That's a, it's real different. The interruption level is way higher. Um, and yeah. So, but, but do you agree with me that like, I mean, if you want to work remote, the yeah. best thing to do is find a place that's higher. I, because yeah, yeah. I think that, I think the first thing yeah, I'd say is that I don't think you should try to, if you're already working there, what you said to them is, "I'm okay with working under the kinds of situation that you, you know, that the, with the processes that you've got." So, getting a company that hasn't bought into that to do the things that they would need to do to make that work is asking a lot. I it, it really requires a cultural change, I would think, and. I think there's advantages to doing that. I think you get a lot of advantages out of, out of, out of being able to about being, you know, hiring remotely and, and taking that step, but it's not, it's different than just, it's not just like flex time. It's not just saying, well, you can work at home a couple times a week. Like that's not, that's a different kind of deal. That's, uh, that's not remote working. That's just, that's just them making a concession that, well, maybe, just maybe, if you're not doing anything super important to us, right. uh, you can work from home. So. I, uh, you know, so I guess there's a couple things I'd, that kind of relate to this. I, the first thing I'd say is that, you know, so I know that, you know, obviously I work at, com at a company and I've worked at a couple companies that obviously embrace working remotely. Um, I would say that, it's certainly the case that I wouldn't just hire any Joe schmuck developer like out of the blue who sent me in a resume or whatever. I, you know, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think we hired anybody based on that. Right. Um, so,
so I think one of the things I would I, I would probably say is, well, convince my employer that I want to do that. I don't think you need to take that tack. But what I would probably be doing is I would try I would be putting time into making sure that I'm doing what needs what I need to do to demonstrate that I can work remotely, that I'm capable of doing that. And I would say one of the best ways to do that is to um, contribute to collaborative open source projects and or do those kinds of things yourself, like put your code out there and show a commitment to um, like doing the things that needs to be done on that kind of stuff, which involves things like project management and managing you know, tasks and documenting your code and things like that. A lot of those things that go into collaborating on open source stuff are exactly the same kinds of skills that you have for working remotely on closed source stuff. So I agree with you a hundred percent. So like if I was thinking about wanting to hire somebody, I don't give a shit what the resume says. I'd be looking at, well, what is, you know, the, you know, flavor of the, you know, week now is GitHub. I'd say, well, what's your GitHub account look like? Right. That's what I would want to look at. Um, because I'd want to see, um, well, what has this person done? I can go and look and see, um, you know, what kind of code have they committed? Um, have they documented it? Well, have they filed issues? What kind of communication skills do they have? Um, have they managed projects before? Like, have they been in a leadership role on a project before? You know, things of that nature. Um, I, the skills are real similar. Uh, and so what I would be doing is try, is really trying to do that. Like, um, I think that, that it makes you more hireable and more desirable and, you know, in general. But it specifically demonstrates that you're able, that you're, going to be able to handle remote working situations. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Right. so then I take that and then, um, then I think you're going to probably get on the radar or you can get yourself on the radar of companies that are interested in doing that kind of work. Um, you know, because I, it's all, because yeah. it's almost like a chicken and egg thing, right? Because you kind of, <sighs> In order to prove that you can work remotely, you have to have worked remotely somewhere. But right. at the same time, you need to convince someone to hire you right. remotely. So it's sort of like, for me, the in uh, for this was uh, when I first started working remotely, was that uh, the guy who hired me, Alan Carbon, who's the president and CEO of XML Team when mm-hmm. I worked for them, um, uh, he had been following me on um, had been, he had been reading my blog and following me on Twitter and just, you know, he saw that I was doing things um, that they thought would be of value to the company. So when I told people I was no longer working for whoever I was working for, they're like, Hey man, you want to come and work for us? Right. And, uh, and the whole thing, and that was, I was just literally thrust into the remote working thing. It's like, yeah, we're all remote. There's no office. You can work from home. We'll get you set up whatever computer you want to get. I mean, they were even aw- they were awesome enough that they actually um, they bought me a computer and then um, I paid them back. They deducted stuff from every paycheck, so I had a laptop that was mine uh, nice. when it was all said and done. And uh, so this segues into a- another thing about this. I-, I found that one of the things that also advantages to working remotely is that usually you get. Uh, 
big time choice in terms of like your your tools that you get to use, what what sort of operating system you're going to do your development work on, and more importantly, I think that's a very is that you get to create an environment for yourself to work in that is exactly what you're going to want. You're very, I, I can't think of a remote place that would be like, we only use these computers and you have to use this editor and all these other things that, uh, that a lot of people unfortunately uh, go through. Yeah. Um, right. And you have to go to office somewhere. Remote places you get usually, and I mean, maybe people can correct me, have worked at remote places where they didn't have much say in um, what tools they got to use to actually write their code. I'm not talking about tools like, we use this particular uh, bug tracker and we use this database and we use this version control system. Yeah, right. It's sort of like, yeah, man, you, you create your little uh, cocoon of tranquility or in my case, uh, a dungeon of grumpiness from which you can uh, get all your work done. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I can't imagine. Well, I mean, I can probably contrive some examples of a case where you might have to make sure that you're all running exactly the same software, but in general for the, you know, situation I've been in, I don't see why anyone would give a rat's ass what editor you're using or what have you. You know, if you want to use an IDE or you just want to use Vim, I don't think anybody cares. Um, what do you mean you don't think anyone cares? Well, I think people care. They care. I think they care more about, you know... <laughs> they care more about... Uh, I, I found the bottom code, line yeah. for all remote stuff is that the people who are signing the checks care that you're getting shit done. And if right. you're not getting shit done... Really, it doesn't matter whether you're remote or uh, in a cubicle putting in time waiting for a buyout. Uh, right. You don't produce, you're going to be gone. And yeah. I, I tell people, if you want to work remote, yeah, you better un- you you learn that lesson really quickly because if you're not if you're not self motivated and disciplined enough to like turn off Twitter uh, when you need to get shit done, then yeah, you're not going to last very long doing remote work at all. Yeah, you know, somebody asked about distraction management. Yeah, and I, you know, that's something where. There have been, I think it varies from person to person. You know, I'm a kind of person that, well, I've had like some chronic issues with like um, attention deficit disorder and things like that. Now, you know, I take, I take some meds actually specifically for it to help with that. Um, I have... You know, and obviously some people have more problems or less problems with sure. that kind of thing, right? Uh, because, you know, because yeah. you're right. It is super easy to get distracted when you're working from home because, again, uh, you're the adult supervision and there's nobody there right. uh, telling you Finkler get back to work, right? So, so so I have good days and bad days. It used to be like before I took meds, I would have good weeks and bad weeks, right? So some, some days I get more done than others. Um, but I... You know, there are some times where I have to, the thing I'll do is I'll uh, edit my Etsy host file sometimes to block certain things because I'm screwing oh, yeah. around that's on them too great. much. Yeah, that's You know, um, I haven't, you know, some people go so far as to do things like they have timers or they have things that like it automatically blacklists domains from like between nine to five or whatever. And, you know, whatever works for you is fine. Um, I think the key thing is that, like we talked about, like being is a small part of being an adult. You know, I guess when you're when you're doing working remotely, is that you have to be prepared to um, sit down and say and try different things and 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 do a lot of like sort of self reflection and say, am I getting enough stuff done or not? And you have to kind of be 
evaluating yourself that way. Um, because, uh, I think if you're not, it's real easy for stuff to drift off and you're kind of, you know, not, you know, you, you sort of lose track of everything. Um, but yeah, you know, so I found some stuff, but I, I haven't done anything that was like real complex. Some people talk about, you know, these much more complex, like methods, you know, or systems of time management and stuff. And I don't know, I've, I've, I've tried different things and stuff doesn't really stick for me. So it's, no, me neither. You know, I just found just the key is like, like I said before, I bring this up, be an adult. Shut that shit off and get your work done. Yeah, because, I, I, because yeah. if you, I mean, because the thing is, if you, I feel like if you have to go through the, if you have to go to the extent of adding tools that block your access to things because you're compulsively checking them, then I think there's a bigger problem, and that you really, not to make light of it, but you should. You know, you should get that looked at. If you find yourself totally unable to focus, like in your case, it yeah. ended up where you know you had to take some medication to get the AD, you know, get the ADD and ADHD under control. I mean, you're yeah. not the only one that suffers with those things. I suffer from. I don't think I suffer from ADD or anything, but I get distracted. But I just found what works for. I mean, again, what works for me, not necessarily going to work for other people. I've never really had to resort to adding things on the block my access alter the uh, host file so I can't get to a certain site. It's like, it's like, I just look at it and say, dude, be an adult. You got some work to do. Set goals. Say, I'm not going to go look at Hacker News until I get this set of tests working. And then right. once those tests are working, push that stuff, give yourself a little high five for getting a, getting a feature implemented, and then take two minutes, three minutes to go look. Go talk to your friends on Twitter. Go uh, hit up somebody on, on IM to ask them a question. But then in the end, realize that you're getting paid to work, so be an adult and get your work done. Yeah, I think one of the things that does help is if one thing I found is that the days where I actually start off, like when I sit down, I don't sit down and then start like reading RSS. I actually sit down and start coding and like. Yep. And for me, I I have to sort of process the stuff in my head and start thinking about the task before I actually do it. <laughs> right. Yep. I have Absolutely. to, I can't just sit down and be like, Oh, I've got code. You know, I kind of have to start and I know I've gotten to the point where I realize now I sort of have to do that mentally prepare myself and start thinking about the task. And it takes, it takes me a little while to slide into that. So I think if you do that, I find that I tend to get more productive and then, you know, yeah, I take a break and, you know, sit for a little bit. Um, I, it, you know, maybe give yourself half an hour, set a timer or something if you need to. That, you know, that's fine. Um, I don't, I think everybody's different. And I think, you know, and I think that you, you just kind of have to self-assess on what works for you. Okay. I think the other thing for me is that, you know, and I guess this, this is going to vary based on the, uh, it, on the, you know, your work environment and, and what have you. Uh, I feel that, if you really feel strongly about like what you're doing and, and the, the group of, t the group of people who you're working with, what I find is probably the best motivator to keep me focused is wanting to make sure to do a good job for them. Right. Right. Um, so obviously Cause, when you're, cause yeah, cause when you're passionate about something, 
it doesn't matter how much time you spend doing it. It always, you always feel focused. Right. I like, I want to do this to make sure that I'm doing right by these, this group, right? These guys who I talk to every day who are part of my team, you know, I want to be sure to do right by them. And, you know, in a, in a startup thing, you know, at a, at a sort of ground floor ish kind of area where we're at, you know, we're all in this together, you know what I mean? So it's not, and, and we're all really committed to this. So it's you and these other guys and you're all working together on that stuff. And that's really, I, for me, that's a bigger motivator than anything um, to not want to let these guys down. Right. And, and to, and uh, so, yeah, that more, that's the biggest thing for me. The rest of the stuff kind of all comes from that and i'll tell you i mean when times where if i've been less excited about that and passionate about it it certainly is a lot harder if it like if i feel like you know maybe i maybe this isn't a good fit for me personality wise or you know there's conflict things or whatever that makes stuff harder it really does make it harder so that's a whole other thing about like what's a good work environment and not you know what motivates you and stuff like that but yeah, that's yeah. a rage-filled podcast. Yeah, thing. maybe get, think, give it should, a few weeks on that one. Yeah, <laughs> we may want to. I, I may be able to talk coherently about work environment stuff um, in a couple of weeks. Right. Um, so I, I guess we've almost come to the end of everything that we wanted to talk about here. There's just one more thing I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. very briefly that someone uh, asked was about remote pair programming. Now, if people are familiar with the whole um, agile. Uh, extreme programming paradigm. One of the big things that they're proponents of, and I have seen it actually work quite well, uh, is the idea of pair programming. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, for those in our audience who are not familiar with pair programming, I'll go over it really quickly. Pair programming is the idea that you have two people working on the same set of problem at the same time. With the difference that one person is um, driving in that they're actually doing the work and the typing, and the other person is there to observe and you end up with a discussion, a nice discussion going um, back and forth on how to solve a particular problem. I had success doing this at Moontoast, usually with the HTML JavaScript guy, where we would go over stuff together. And um, one of us would, you, one of us would, uh, you, it usually was me doing the driving because I can, I could edit the JavaScript and the PHP code and we would talk about what we want to see. And then he could test things at his end to make sure he was getting back the responses. So, the tool that I tended to use for that most of the time was um, was Skype and screen sharing. So it would just be as simple as I would say, you know, hey, Tyson, can we get on Skype? I want to go over some stuff with you. And then we would have the voice channel through which to communicate with each other and then a visual channel where he could see me. I would fire up Vim and he could see everything that I was doing. So, I, I mean, I found that there were some problems that we that got fixed a lot faster because both of us were able to communicate in real time on how to solve this problem. So what experiences have you had, have you had with kind of doing the remote pair programming stuff? None. None? <laughs> um, no, I, that's, that's, I mean, I, that's cool because that's, because that, again, that pair programming thing is a very foreign paradigm to a lot of people. And I think sometimes right. it also has to do with the passive aggressive nature of a lot of developers and the fear fear of criticism over your choices. Yeah, I, I think that um, I think it will be interesting to do um, with somebody who I felt like I trusted. You know what I mean? Because I, sometimes I think that it's a you know if it was just like some 
Shermuk, who I just started working with the first day, and I didn't really know him from Adam. Like maybe it'd work out okay, but then you know, I've I've read, uh, you know, pair program was interesting to me because it was it was very alien to me. I was very used to this idea of well, and I still do it. You know, I I have I really haven't had an experience with pair program. That idea of like, well, you go, you might talk about stuff, but you actually program alone, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, right. and you're right. That's a very, that is. Even in even in environments where everybody's there in the same place, not remotely, yes. everyone will get together for the whiteboarding session, and then you divvy out the work, and then everybody goes off to their back to their cubicle or desk or or wherever they happen to be working, or or on the on the table in the conference room, and they just start coding. And again, it is a very solitary um, thing. So I I th- you know I was thinking about it though, like um, where there's definitely stuff where purely from the standpoint of even just me learning about it and understanding it. I would like to do that with a couple of guys from work because I want to see how they built certain things and like how it works. And I think I would learn a whole crap load from it. Um, And I think it would actually probably be really useful. I am unaware of like, like I could see where something like say the screen sharing stuff. And I, I guess we, I've done some real basic screen sharing stuff, but not not so much with code. Like I've done a little bit of that, but not so much with with it, because I think there's a lot of. Um, I think with screen sharing, you know, sometimes it's like, well, if the bandwidth isn't good enough, then you can't even see what's going on because it's just like like a big blurry mess, right? You know. Yeah. You know. You know Obviously, there. So there's like <laughs> technical things that you can get into with that that make it kind of problematic. Um, I'm not. I'm trying to think off the top of my head if there's anything like if there's like good collaborative editors and it's something I haven't explored enough. Like I know, I know I, of I, I some know few, yeah, I've heard I mean, of yeah. five, six years ago or no, maybe even longer than that. Um, there was a product called Subetha edit. Yeah. That was the one I was thinking of. Right. And I had actually used that to do collaborative editing with some people. And I had an experiment that I did with a friend of mine the other day. Um, where we SS, we both connected uh, via SSH to the same server, and we use uh, Tmux, which is sort of like a terminal multiplexer, very similar okay. to using Screen. Yeah. And if one person starts off a Tmux session, anybody else who's connected to that server, they can join the same session that's running. That's interesting. So, so you could do, and I've heard people talk about how they've uh, on, you know, they've actually done pair program that way, right? Where you know, they both connect to the same TMUX session, and they can both use the same, you know, and then, you know, if you and I were to do this, you know, like we would both SSH into the server, and then I would fire up the TMUX session, and I would be driving, and you could observe. And and that's, right. I think that's really cool, because I was watching, like, when he started moving the cursor, I could take my hands off, and he would start cutting and pasting text and moving stuff around, and it was right. really kind of neat. But the only way to make that work is that you both have to be using the same editor, um, because it would be very difficult difficult because as you know i'm a vim guy right and 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 you're like uh you're like what a sublime text guy if i remember these days yeah and i think i've i've gotten a couple of the guys at work to to switch to it so that's good so but yeah so but it would be hard yeah if like i not being a vim person it would be i mean like i could sort of get muddled my way through it if i have to but it would be hard right and the other thing i was going to say was I think you. I think that's a case where I think you'd absolutely have to have voice chat going at the same time. I don't, I don't well, think I don't you know. can do you it. You have to do for pair yeah. programming. Yeah, 
remote pair programming voice. It has to be voice. Right. So, so because you talk about the bandwidth thing, and, and that and that brought to my mind. I remember doing the stuff recently with my buddy fooling around with Tmux, mm-hmm. and that was really a really a low bandwidth a solution for for showing things because you're both on the server and you can both see what what's going on. Yeah, that and, ma- that makes a lot because, of sense. And again, because you're mostly working with text. You're not cranking out a lot of. You don't really need high bandwidth to watch somebody edit something in real time, in right? A, in a textual environment. Yeah, so it makes sense. I, I, uh, it's something now I want to go look up. Maybe we should have researched it ahead of time. But um, uh, I, I think my personal after after hearing people talk about this, I think the current state of remote pair programming tools is that they're non-existent, really, and that most people are doing most people are doing kind of like the ad hoc things that I was doing with. Whoever's doing the driving is sharing their screen using, you could use Skype, you could use uh, join.me, mm-hmm. which is a popular solution. Yeah. So, you know, it's just how it is, man. Pair programming is, it's a useful thing, but it fills a niche. And most programmers, I think, not hostile, but they kind of distrust it. Because again, they're used to the paradigm of programming as a solitary um, pursuit. You may collaborate yeah. with people, but in the end, you you have this in your mind that you were the one um, executing the vision to make the code work. Yeah, I think in the, I guess I think at the end of the day, I think even as much as you'd want to, I think that it would be hard to do that to to make that the only approach you took in um, when you're when everybody's remote. I think yeah. it might be something where you apply it in certain cases. <laughs> but I yeah, think it's that's how, yeah because that's how yeah. it worked for us when we had problems that I felt needed the voice channel to serve to to explain it to right. make sure that especially when you were working with somebody else to make sure that you were both focusing in on the same thing um, that the ability to share a screen and a voice channel was extremely helpful yeah that makes sense all right Ed so what do you think you think we've exhausted everything we wanted to talk about how how uh, awesome we are because we work remote and the Philistines <laughs> who follow us don't get that same opportunity. We're so much happier. Before Zod. Yeah, exactly. Before I work remote. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know about that. But, uh, I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, one thing I don't think, we didn't even really touch on it because we mostly talked about it from the standpoint of, like, how you're making it work. But I think the thing that I always find is that it seems like you can get um, you have the opportunity to get better talent if you're will if you're willing to to culturally make that commitment to remote work. And you know, I see. I think I made this comment on Twitter a couple days ago where I'd seen somebody who was like, "Hey, we're looking for really good folks in the X Y area to do stuff." And I think I might have even retweeted it because I was like, "Well, I want to help him out, right?" You know, he was looking for. Petri folks or whatever, but I think I also made the comment was like, you know, I think you're likely to get better people, and if you're really committed to getting good talent, I think it's something that you really have to seriously consider. Now, it's not it's not something where you can just be like, oh, magically, I'm just going to make this change and do that. You've got to, it's you know, um. You have to be. Yeah, it's, it's the thing we talked about earlier, where, yeah. the, where you have to have a culture. It's right. Everyone has to say we are doing this remote because it. Because um, I agree with you. A lot of companies miss out on on talent um, because they're not culturally able to or culturally willing to right. uh, allow remote people 
to have uh, prong rolls. Now, I, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm talking out of school to talk about my experiences um, with Kaplan as I was going through the whole sort of hiring process. And the, mm-hmm. the, the thing that they discovered was that, you know, Kaplan, the office that I'm working for is in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which is, you know, two and a half hour drive from Madison and a three and a half hour drive from Milwaukee. Right. And, you know, it's a college town, so there's a lot of probably junior guys who are eager to work there to do stuff. But senior experienced people, hard to find yeah. in smaller metro areas. And they came to the realization that if they re- if they wanted to walk the walk that comes with saying we want to hire the best people that we can, Kaplan said, okay, Chris, you're remote. We can deal with that because we because Kaplan already had some people who were remote, but in Madison, not in Lacrosse, but they already had people there who right. were working with them on a regular basis as integral parts of the team who were not in the office with them. Right. So that's really the lesson to tell people, I think, Ed. And the mm-hmm. end to end to end our, our podcast on this note. If you want the best people, you need to understand that the best people will not come to you. You will have to come to them and yeah. you will have to make if you want somebody really good, you have to make the case about why they should uproot their life and come work for you. Because for a lot of people, I mean, I look at my own case. I have a house and a wife and two kids, and all my family is within a forty five minute drive yeah. of where I live. Right. You are you are asking a lot of the people to work for you to uproot everything and come work for you. If you want the best, if you really, if you say that you really, really want the best people, you have to have really good reasons to make them come move. Uh, you, you know, you need to have a really good, compelling reason to make them come to you instead of you saying, "I believe that you are the best person for this job, and and I am totally willing to work around the idea that you are not in the office." Right. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> So on that note, I think we're done, Ed. This yep. has been uh, interesting. I, I think people, I mean, what percentage of people would you say work remote in our industry? 1%? 2%? Oh, geez. I don't have. Do you, you think it's even that high? I mean, I think you and I know a lot of people. Like most right, of the people we know work remote. But, thing, right? right. We tend to know people who are in the same kind of boat. And, yeah. you know, uh, God, I would think it's not that high, but I think it might be higher than that. I. Could I throw out ten percent, maybe? I think ten percent of the people yeah. in our industry get. I don't know. I'm just guessing, though, man. I'm spitballing. I don't even know. Yeah, I'm cool with saying one percent. So, sure. so we can say that we are part of the one percent. We're the one percenters. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sure. Right. Um. So, like I said, I hope people listening find some of the stuff in, uh, interesting as we as we discussed our experiences with remote working. Yeah. Um. I don't really have any horror stories or war stories, except all I know is that the thing that prompted me to want to want to work remote was when I spent uh, when I did 120 hours of overtime in uh, five weeks leading up to Christmas when I was working for one place. And yeah. I said to myself, the millisecond I get a job where I can work from home, um, I'm going to take it. Yeah, that's awful. Oh, God. Yeah, I was, that was a horrible death march. And that's why I have such an aversion to death marches and overtime and poorly planned projects. So. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So on that note. I think we've reached the end. Thank yeah. you very much for listening to the Development Hell podcast. As always, you can find us on online at devhell.info. You can find our podcast uh, in iTunes. Please note that we have an explicit tag. 
because I love to run my fucking mouth about everything. You motherfucker. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, and I've messed this up before too, it <laughs> is dev underscore hell. You yep. can find me on uh, Twitter as uh, Grumpy Programmer, drop the U. You can find Ed as Funkatron. Uh, we, as always, we welcome your comments, your uh, tweets, your emails. Um, we are always looking for other interesting people uh, to talk to. I believe, Ed, that we have spoken about who I want to bring on the show next. We did. I, uh, you you want to give people a hint about what we're going to be talking about or leave them in suspense? I forgot who it was. <laughs> so I, I, I remember it seemed like an okay idea, but I... <laughs> All right, anyway, on that note, thanks very much, and uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. All right, sounds good, man. Thanks.